0: Today, we come to the book of Micah. Micah was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. Both of them ministered to the southern kingdom same time. Isaiah was from the royal family, he was in fact a cousin of the king. So he dealt at a higher level. He attacked the idolatry of the southern kingdom, the immorality, and the injustice. Micah, on the other hand, was a simple man from a simple town in the countryside. So Isaiah grew up in the royal court in Jerusalem. Micah grew up in a kind of a village, somewhat lower down, far away, reasonably far from Jerusalem, simple man. And he, because he was a simple man, felt the pain of the poor and the oppressed. So he cared mostly for them and the sins that affected them, namely the sins of injustice. So while he does talk about idolatry, he does talk about immorality, but his focus is on injustice. Very much like another prophet which we had studied, Amos. Amos was for the Northern Kingdom. And Amos also spoke against the social sins. The great divide between the rich and the poor, how the rich oppress the poor how the rich live in luxury at the expense of the poor. So Amos dealt with social sins in the north, but God raised up Micah to deal deal with social sins in the southern kingdom. Now, when the two kingdoms split, the northern kingdom, of course, went into idolatry very quickly because of the golden calves that King Jeroboam I made. And they put it in the southern part, northern part of the kingdom, one golden calf each. And though they claim to be with worshippers of Jehovah, they actually worship a golden calf. And we always know when you look at your God, you've got some dumb cow, then you will believe that that dumb cow made of eyes that cannot see, obviously cannot see your sins. And so you feel quite free to sin because your God doesn't know. Imagine that like you have a school teacher doesn't know you're doing pranks or you have policemen that are blind. Of course, you'll be tempted to do all kinds of funny things, right? Bad things. So if that God is blind, then of course you can have immorality and injustice. So idolatry always leads to immorality and injustice. So the Northern Kingdom went down that road of immorality idolatry immorality injustice very quickly right but that their bad influence began to affect the southern kingdom and so soon the southern kingdom though they had the temple they worship the living god of course they too have their local gods their little shrine gods they had Learned from the Canaanites. So there were little shrines everywhere with little gods in them. And they too, because of idolatry, began to follow, go down the road of immorality and injustice. Right? And this is what it started in Jerusalem and then it went down to the countryside and Micah could see the corruption coming down. Right? Always cities have far more injustice far more sins in greater in greater magnitude and uh, more common because in a big city people are a bit more removed you know most of your neighbors don't really know you you can do a lot of things and nobody really knows
1: who you are today of course there's a lot of sin done in the bedroom because
0: of internet i mean you have a lot of private sins christians are watching pornography nobody knows right okay Now in the city, you are somewhat anonymous. On the internet, people are also anonymous. People say horrible things on the internet, attack people viciously, because really nobody knows who you are. In the city, that's one of the problems. People really don't know who you are. Secondly, in the city, because many people gather close together and the influence, one bad person influences more and more, and sin tends to be more wild in the city, right? that, But that sin now in Jerusalem began to slowly seep down to his place where Michael lived. And Michael was really uh, troubled by it. And he began to speak up. God raised him up to speak up against injustice, right? So he prophesied injustice would lead to Assyrian captivity and then later even to Jerusalem suffering Babylonian captivity he prophesied of these things right But since it's such a small book just basically seven chapters let's just look at it like a mini shall we say simple bible study not verse by verse chapter by chapter so look at chapter one as you begin we see here Michael sees the glory of God coming down this time not on Mount Sinai to give a great covenant to have a marriage ceremony in Mount Sinai with Israel, he sees God coming down in all His glory as a judge, not as a groom to marry His people. And then, this judge that comes down is going to judge Samaria and Jerusalem for the 500 years of rebellion that they had done against Him. Alright, it's like a wife who's committed adultery for five, Hundred years, and finally the husband said, Enough, right? I'm going to have to punish you, not divorce, punish you, right? So we see here in chapter one, some interesting things. He actually names the towns, okay? Let's look at verse 11 in chapter one, okay? In verse 11, you have your Bibles ready. We're going to give a little bit of a mini Bible study. Every time small books, we have time to do it, we might as well do it, all right? Chapter 1 verse 11, Pass on your way inhabitants of Shafir in nakedness and shame. Right, so he names one town, Shafir. Now to you and me, we don't know Hebrew, that's okay, why you name a town, what what the world is this town anyway? Right, this town's going to get punished one day when God judges Israel. But Shafir, the sound of it sounds like the Hebrew word for beauty. And then he plays on the word and says, one day you will be naked and in shame. They like to dress beautifully, but one day you'll be naked and in shame. So he names the town and he makes a pun. He makes a play on the sound of their, uh, the name of the town. You know, We Chinese like to play with the sound of words. This word actually meaning something, but it can also mean something else. Let's look at verse 11, the second part. The inhabitants of Za'anan do not come out. Za'anan is another Hebrew word that sounds like go forth. So he says the town called go forth will not go forth. Right? So he uses puns to play with it. Right? But he actually names the cities or the towns that will be punished. Now this is far more impactful. you know. But in preaching, I notice a lot of times, preachers do not want to be specific, they become very general, right? And when it's general, everybody in the congregation says it's for somebody else, right? And so we have kind of a lot of preaching against sin, but it's so generalized that most people have this instinct to deflect it. It's not exactly me. So sometimes preaching has to be very specific. God names towns. God names people. All right. And so I think this is something that's useful. Now, so chapter 1 speaks of God's judgment and he names a whole bunch of towns playing with their names. In uh, Also, chapter 1 is a bit of an acrostic uh, poem. All right. So it helps them to remember. Okay. Now, chapter 2, we see who... God is going to judge primarily. So let's turn to chapter 2, Micah chapter 2 and let's look at verse 1 and 2. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. So who is he attacking? He's attacking land grabbers. Okay, there were people at that time who were powerful families, powerful people, and their land was getting uh, scarce and expensive, and they grabbed land. How did they grab it? They had schemes. At night they didn't sleep. They thought of schemes how to grab this land, bribe right? the judge and you know whatever and then next day they would grab this land from people. Right, So it had become a case of uh, the rich oppressing the poor and the poor became landless and when you are landless, you don't have money, very soon you have to sell your children and the profiteers now make money from your land and from selling your kids. Right. First, of course, from usury. They, they lend you money and make you give more and more and more to them. Finally, you got nothing to give. They have to give your kids. You sell their kids and you sell yourself. Right? So they were profiteers. Can you imagine in the land of Israel, this was happening in God's place. God had chosen Israel to be a light for the rest of the world to see and to be drawn to Him. But now the exact opposite had taken place. So, in the past, people like Isaiah would attack the princes, the prophets, the priests, but now, we see Michael attacking the profiteers. Right? So, he was more concerned about social injustice. So, we see this horrible scene where, you know, according to Jewish law, your land can never be sold. Your land continues in your name, if you are if you a woman, you died, your husband's name, you know, his brother would marry you and have a child so that the land continues in your name. In other words, you can't grab land from somebody else. You can take it for a while. After so many years, it has to be given back to the family. But they kept grabbing land, All right. So here we see quite a horrible scene. Israel is in bad shape. But you know the good part of Micah, every time he gives the justice, a warning, then there's always hope at the end of it. Right, so verse 12, let's look at chapter 2 and verse 12. You see, all right, he's talking about the horrible things happening, what God's going to judge them. And in verse 12, he said, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel, and will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. He's saying, God is going to judge you. But, but, there's a covenant that God had with Abraham that must, must always be fulfilled that God will send a shepherd, a shepherd. All nations will be blessed through Abraham. Israel will be blessed because of Abraham and every other nation. So, you see, Micah, justice, hope. Justice, mercy. Right, so that is uh, uh, the style of Micah. Let's look at verse 3, uh, chapter 3, okay, we go on with quick chapter. So we know that basically the sin was of profiteers, okay, who made money. Every country, the richest guys usually okay. are people who own property. Property developers are the most rich people in many countries. They grab land. Italy, it's very still very common today. Land grabbing is very common. Right, A person is poor, he take over his land, he's poor, he takes over his land, and soon it's landlords and landless. That's very, very common everywhere in the world. Mm. Hasn't changed, huh? hasn't changed the greed of man. All right, chapter three, and we see here how the oppression continues. In okay, chapter three, verses one, let's read. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off My people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of My people, and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces, and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Wow! Wow! The leaders were doing that. They were literally not just taking their money, they were taking their lives, taking their flesh, their children, their flesh, selling them. Brothers, be sold to slavery because they had nothing left to pay except their own bodies. Wow! You say, I can't imagine the time like that. Actually, it's still the same nowadays. Okay. There are many countries I go to and see, landless farmers have got nothing. They are just in perpetual debt to the landlords. Very common today, right? There's one or two guys in the town, the massive houses, and they own all the land around them. And everybody else works for them for nothing because they're always paying off their debts. Right? And the children are just literally born into a debt they can never pay, right? Slavery without the old way of slavery, it's just I own you because you owe me, right? So this is the oppression that Israel uh, was, Jerusalem, Judah was going through and Israel was going through, uh, but especially Jerusalem because Michael was talking about the Southern Kingdom. Right now let's look at verse 5, chapter 3 verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Wow, you thought the prophets were bad. The prophets were just as bad. If you bribe them, they will preach that you are good. You're a good guy. All right if you have no money to give them they will attack you right they will go war with you and say evil man okay let's look at verse 11. its heads leaders of the country give judgment for a bribe its priests teach for a price its prophets Practice divination for money. How do you like that? From the king, the priest, the leaders, to the judges, to the prophets, to the priests. Everybody needs a bribe to get work done. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I go to countries where nothing can be done without a bribe. Nothing. Alright. You want to get your water fixed? You go to the public utilities? You bribe. You want to get your phone lines put in? You bribe. Right? You want to pass your exams? You bribe. You go to the hospital? You want to get proper treatment from the doctor? You bribe. (laughs) Alright. Nothing new. Everybody from top to bottom needs a bribe. From the prime minister down. Uh, Alright. Just different amounts. The prime minister's wife wants uh, a million dollars bribe. Okay, the uh, electrician's wife wants, uh, you know, two curry puffs, right, whatever. Everybody needs a bribe. Has the world changed? Not really. In certain sophisticated countries, the bribery is not in cash under the table. It's in other forms, okay. Now, chapter 4. Let's go on. So, you're seeing why Michael is so troubled, right? And I, I go to mission field, I'm very troubled when I see things like that, right? With the poor are always oppressed. Now, of course, we will live in uh, the most honest country or number two in the world, we don't see a lot of that in Singapore. But there is bribery to some extent, but so minimal, right? But please remember, we are an exception. We are an exception, not the norm. Okay, chapter four. In verse 3 of chapter 4, there's hope, you know, it looks so horrible, but verse 3, He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes from strong nations far away. This is the promise, that promise eternal kingdom that God kept, that Micah keeps looking at. In the, He gets so depressed by that and then he sees the promise of God and says, One day I'll be there, I'll be there, right? And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, Micah 4 verse 3, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall there be war any more. Now, I've heard, I'm sure you may have heard this. This, in fact, I think is put up in the United Nations, All right, where we will beat our swords into plowshares." In other words, no more weapons of war one day. Now, uh, that one up in the United Nations is there, but actually, Michael not the only prophet that said it. Isaiah said it. Joel also said this, beating the sword into plowshares, uh, spears into pruning hooks. Okay. Verse 4, chapter 4 verse 4 but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the lord of hosts has spoken see so michael sees this horrible situation in the present world and peeps into the future that he is very sure god will promise what the god who promised will do okay so that's a new Jerusalem, look at chapter 7, verse 7, sorry, of chapter 4. And the lame will I make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Eternal kingdom. Okay, the new Jerusalem. Then we go in chapter, so you, you see in Micah, warning, Horrible things, hope. Warning of horrible uh, things to come, hope. Right Now in chapter 5, we see the siege. Chapter 5, let's look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Okay, follow me in the Bibles. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. While well, we're seeing a siege. And a rock, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So the enemy is coming in, chapter 5 verse 1, chapter 5 verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Africa, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Wow! He's showing the contrast, the siege of Jerusalem. They're going to be wet. He saw way up into the future Babylon, siege of Jerusalem. And then as a prophet, he also sees beyond that. He doesn't know that beyond, there's a big gap between uh, the first thing he's seeing and the second. And what does he see at the second? He says, out of Bethlehem, tiny town, so tiny that we don't even remember it. They must say Jerusalem is this massive place. Expect uh, the ruler to come from Jerusalem. And he says, no, no, no. I see someone coming out from a little town called Bethlehem, and he will be ruler in Israel. And you know what? His coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, or could be translated from everlasting. Who is this? He was prophesying the ruler that will come forth for this everlasting kingdom is Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem. So this was the prophecy that many, you know when they heard Christ was born, they knew that He was the Messiah because He was born in Bethlehem. All right, Bethlehem is very interesting. The word Beth, you find a lot of Beth-haven, Beth-this, beth Beth, in, in, the, uh, in the Bible, Beth simply means house. Lehem means bread. Bethlehem is house of bread. okay? Bethlehem was a little town outside of Jerusalem, I mean a suburbs far from, uh, not very far from Jerusalem, which provided the corn the bread for Jerusalem okay? So, it's called House of Bread. It was a a village growing food for Jerusalem. And from that will come forth the Messiah. So, this prophecy was remembered when Christ was born. Okay? Now, it was, of course, hundreds of years later, hundreds of years after this prophecy. You know how God's timing is just not our uh, timing. Okay? Now, go to... Chapter 6. Hope this helps you when you read and you have these landmarks and you don't get too lost, right? Chapter 6. It tells us in verse 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, bringing my, my, you know, my animal sacrifices. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah is asking, is that what God wants from us? And we come with burnt offerings, carrying lambs with us, year-old rams with us, bringing oil offerings, and even bringing our children like the Canaanites to offer as human sacrifice to to the gods. Is that what God wants from us? In other words, Micah is saying, you know, you guys keep doing this. I mean, the, the offerings never stop. Whether it was to the true God in the tabernacle, in the temple, or whether it was to the altar gods. People were always bringing offerings, bringing offerings. And then, at the same time as they were doing it, bringing their offerings, chapter 6, look at verse 11. This is where the heart of the message is, okay. Shall I equip the man? with wicked scales, with a bag of deceitful weights. Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. Their tongue is deceitful in their mouth." What's this talking about? One hand, they're bringing sacrifices, going to the temple, going to their altars. They were religious people it's not that they didn't practice religion they were what you and i would call faithful church goers in fact they were faithful giving their offerings and their tithes, bringing animals not cheap oil the precious olive oil tens of rivers of oil are given to their in their offerings but at the same time they had deceitful scales, they cheated, they were deceitful merchants. Alright, let's look at verse 11 and 12. Shall I equip a man with wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights? You see, every time they sold things, they weighed things. You know, they said they sold you 100 kilos of, of grain. Actually, it was only 70 kilos because the weighing scale was, was uh, adjusted. Right? and in verse 12 it says you rich men are full of violence your inhabitants speak lies all right they they knew how to all the businessmen were crooks they made money crookedly through schemes and plots and then they brought it to buy animals and oil and bring to worship so basically what is happening in this place there is religion but there's no righteous living there was ritualistic religion but no righteous living and you know some of the most horrible crimes crooked cultures where there's bribery and deceit and cheating are in the most religious countries This so it's kind of ironic the most immoral brothels have the most idols in them the most deceitful business people are the main supporters of temples, churches, right? I mean the slave traders, they built they built massive churches in America, in the south. The, the ones who were drug peddlers, they were merchants who sold death. But they built cathedrals in Europe. The cathedrals of Europe were built from people who plundered the gold of South America, killing millions of people, innocent South Americans, whether they were Incas or whatever, I don't know. They went there, they just plundered the gold and then they went back and built cathedrals. Does that sound familiar? Or is this something like, oh, thousands of years ago? No, it just happens, right? So today, when you see monumental cathedrals and all that, it's often built with money from crooked people, right? Who seem so religious, their names may be on the church uh, list as the biggest donors of the church, okay? So this is what happens now. God is saying, I can't stand this. I can't stand this. Micah says, I can't stand this. Right? And here we see in chapter 6 and verse 8. And if you're using a normal Bible, underline it because this is a mandate given to us. This is what God wants from us. Chapter 6 and verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what does God require from you and me? Through the ages, do we go to church, religiously, look super pious, drop offerings in the bag, and then go out on Monday and oppress our employees, ignore the poor, Right, in fact, try to take advantage of them and then come back next Sunday again, right? Or oh, does God want us to walk justly in justice? Okay, what is justice? Justice is to give someone right what is his, what he deserves. It's just to give him the right pay, to give him the right respect, give him the right treatment. That's justice. Right? He may be poor, but he... Needs. It's just to give him what he worked for, to give him respect as a fellow human being. Right? That's just. What is mercy? Mercy is to give someone not what he deserves. All right? It's the difference, it? The just is to give someone what he deserves. Justice is to give someone what he does not deserve. I'm sorry, mercy is to give someone what he does not deserve. What do you mean by that? If you find, if you're a merciful guy and you know he didn't work today because he was sick, he didn't deserve money, right? He didn't deserve it. But you still give him. That's mercy. Justice, you give him what he worked for, what he deserved. It's just. Mercy is to give him what he didn't deserve, but he needs. (laughs) Alright. So mercy goes one step further than justice. Okay. And then to walk humbly. So our job is to be fair to people and we see people in need to be kind. Look at chapter six, all right? And verse eight, to be kind. He doesn't deserve it, but I'll still help him because that's kindness, that's mercy. And then to walk humbly, having done all that, don't be proud. It's very easy when you're a just employer and you're a merciful employer, you, are not the numbers. you will not be humble. You'll be very proud. You see, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I give money to the poor. I help the needy. You know, and they want their names flashed up everywhere. That's not how God likes it. You see, God works behind the scenes. Have you ever thought about it? You know, a lot of people never see the hand of God because it's always behind the scenes. In fact, almost all the miracles in my life, and I call them miracles because they're not Something you see in a stadium, you see quietly happening in your life, done by God. But if you don't really try to look for the hand of God behind that, you forget. Just like many times, a good man helps people and nobody knows he's helping. Why? He wants to be behind the scenes. Until you dig and dig and dig and say, please tell me who helped me, I want to thank him. No, uh, he wants to be anonymous. The, one, the answer will be no, please. I'm not going to do this publicly. I just want to thank him privately. Can you please tell me? I feel so bad I cannot thank him. And then when you dig hard enough, you realize oh, there was this guy faithfully helping you, and you never knew that. That's how we are supposed so to walk because that's how God does. God's justice, He walks just. You know, the cross is the perfect example of God's justice. Justice is just to give us what we deserve. To be judged for our sins. That's justice. But, because He's merciful, He gives us more than what we deserve. He sent His Son to die for us. That's mercy. How could I dare ask for that? I don't deserve that the Son of God should die in my place no way but that came out not of god's justice that came out of god's mercy he gave me what i didn't deserve he gave me out of the heart of mercy his son jesus christ all right and you know the act on the cross is the most humble act you can ever imagine it's the greatest gift of all given in the most humble way and that is the perfection of the cross it is Micah chapter 6 verse 8 in real action god's justice judgment god's mercy sparing me though i deserve to be punished and done in the most humble way that the son of god died like a criminal cursed by man wow Micah chapter 6 verse 8 is personified in the cross and must be reflected in our lives, we who have seen the cross. But today, that's not the way we live our Christian life. Our Christian life is attending church, attending Bible studies, I'm faithful in Bible studies, I do my quiet time, and then I go to the office and I live like everybody else, profiting from others, not really bothering with the poor, I don't care if the poor are suffering, that's really not my problem. Right? Nine or ten Christians will drop money in the offering bag and will see poor people around them and hear of all kinds of horrendous poverty around them and won't lift a finger. I'm telling you the truth. I know that. I go to prayer meetings, I share these problems of poverty, and all these people praying, not one, maybe one in a hundred will respond. The rest will pray and pray and pray. Very spiritual prayers for the poor all right but not a finger lifted up to help the poor okay in fact they don't even think that's part of christianity today the christianity of our day right so we go on to see here in chapter 7 right so we see that's uh, chapter 7 verse 1 to 6. woe is me for i have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no clust to eat, there's no ripe, first ripe fig that my soul desires, there's nothing left after the harvest, empty field. The godly has perished from the earth. You can't find a single godly man. There's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, each hunts the other with a net, their hands on what is evil to do it well. Well, doing evil they are good at, it. right? the prince and the judge ask for a bribe. the great man utters the evil desire of his soul thus they that and thus they weave it together verse 5 put no trust in a neighbor have no confidence in a friend guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms for the son treats the father with contempt the daughter rises up against her mother daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law a man's enemies are the men of his own house wow
1: Michael looks around and says there's nobody and
0: there's no good people left. It's the whole society is rotten. Rotten. I can't find one good guy. You know that's how after years of moral education, going to church, and then today we see corruption like never before. In companies, in in governments, everywhere. Rot families breaking down, siblings quarreling, suing one another, alright? Everything. You trust nobody. Make sure you get a good lawyer. Trust nobody. Because everybody could play you out and cheat you. Wow, what a sad sight. Last chapter, you know, alright, right, Um, Micah. That's all he sees around him. But then, thank God, Micah always sees the good hand of God. Micah, chapter 7 verse 7 but as for me i will look to the lord i will wait for the god of my salvation my god will hear me right and then verse 18 and verse 19 as we end the book of micah who is a god like you pardoning iniquity passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. I like that. Kasset, remember that word, Kasset? Loyal love. God said he loves you. He loves you to the end. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob. Step first love to Abraham as you have sown to our fathers from the days of old. Michael just sees the covenant love, the step first love of God for his people. And I hope you see that step first love in the midst of all the corruption, all the horrendous things around you. All right, what have we learned about God here? We have learned about a God. Who requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's Christianity. Okay, Not, God doesn't expect you to be a church goer, to love Bible study, and to ignore the poor, and helpless, and to be proud of your Bible knowledge, God doesn't want that. Why? Because God is a just God. Very just. He deals with sin. He's a very merciful God. He gave His Son. And He's a very humble God. He works behind the scenes. And many of you do not even know so many things you have. In fact, everything you have, every good, And perfect gift comes from God. Except he doesn't glare, he doesn't blast, he doesn't say, it's from me, it's from me, it's from me. No. He does it gently. So give to the poor. Remember the poor. Help the poor. And do it quietly. This is what your God wants from you. I'm not saying Bible studies are wrong, but Bible studies that don't lead to this are terrible because they will produce ritualistic religion without righteous living. May God bless you. Know your God. What a wonderful God. Be like him, reflect him. May God bless you.